The following is a message by Pastor Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this message. Now, here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention this weekend to God's Word for the next few moments. We're involved in a series of messages entitled Wiser, and I want to talk to you this weekend and next weekend about the wisdom of worship, the wisdom of worship. Let me say something as we're beginning. You'll notice that on your handout today, uh, there are five points. I'm only going to cover two of those points, okay? And so only two things I'm going to ask you to, to follow with me on this weekend. We'll complete the rest of it next weekend. I'm going to break this message into two parts so that we can get the most out of it because it's such an important topic for us to talk about together. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says this, our launching point for the series. It says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. What is the wisest thing you can do? Get wisdom. And so if we need to get wisdom, it helps us to understand what wisdom is. And so I've given you a working definition of wisdom as a part of this series, and it's going to be on the screen again for us. I'm going to ask all of our campuses to read this aloud together, and let's just uh, get back on the same page when it comes to the definition of wisdom. Here we go. Wisdom, all together, here we go. Wisdom is the accumulation and possession of knowledge, truth, guiding principles, moral precepts, right values, proper priorities, good sense, and prudent judgment from God's perspective, and the ability to practically apply these to everyday life and decisions. Now, just keep that up on the screen. Let me walk you through that. What is wisdom? It is accumulating and possessing. That is, you own it. It becomes a part of you. Knowledge and truth, guiding principles, moral precepts, right values for your life, proper priorities, good sense, prudent judgment, not from your perspective or from the world's perspective, but from God's perspective. So it gives you the ability because you own it. It becomes a part of who you are. You have this knowledge, this understanding inside of you that allows you to then practically apply this to everyday life and make better decisions in your life. That's what wisdom is. Now, for us to obtain wisdom, we must know the starting point for it. How do you get on the pathway of wisdom? And the Bible is very clear about how you get started down this journey or on this journey toward wisdom. Notice the scriptures, Proverbs 1 verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. Now, what is the phrase that is common to all three of those passages? The fear of the Lord. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning part of the journey. That is, you can't even get on the pathway of wisdom without having possessing the fear of the Lord. Now, as soon as you hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord, what do you think of in your mind? Perhaps for many of us, we think of God up in heaven and He's sort of mad and angry at everybody. He's looking uh, for an opportunity to punish you for all the bad things that you do. And so He's sort of a mad, angry Father in heaven just waiting to zap you in some way. And so you live in fear of Him. You sort of cower away from Him because, you know what, I don't want to make God mad. That's not the kind of fear 
that the Bible refers to. The fear of the Lord is a very different concept in Scripture. Actually, the fear of God means that you're acknowledging and reverencing God, and it really means this. To fear God simply means to learn how to appropriately worship Him. To give Him the glory and the honor and the reverence and the obedience that is due unto Him. And so to fear God is not to run from Him or cower back in His presence in some kind of intimidated way, but the fear of the Lord means that you have come to a place in your life where you give Him the awe and the wonder and the worship and the adoration and the obedience that He deserves being God. That you're giving Him the totality the total dimensions of your life, the total honor of your life, that He is number one in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, from the New Life Version, I think it helps us to understand this concept of the fear of the Lord and it's tie, tie, as it ties in to worship. Listen to what it says. Since we have these great promises, that is the promises of God, dear friends, let us turn away from every sin of the body or of the spirit. Let us, notice this, let us honor God with love and fear by, how do we do this? By giving ourselves to Him in every way. So how do we honor God with love and fear? We do it by giving ourselves to Him totally or in every way. It's all about worship. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Or we might say it this way, you'll never walk the paths of wisdom without learning how to worship. Worship is central and a key ingredient to learning and gaining wisdom for your life. I'm going to share, as I said, with you two lessons today, only two things that I will want you to remember out of today's message. And the first one is this. According to Scripture, if we're going to experience wisdom and the, and the, the dimension of worship, we must also understand that there is a right way to worship and there is a wrong way to worship. There is right worship and there is wrong worship. In our culture today, in our world today, it is oftentimes controversial to even say that something may be right or wrong. Because the world that we live in oftentimes wants to redefine what is right and wrong and basically say, hey, whatever is right to you is right and whatever is wrong to you is wrong. So it's sort of defined by the individual. It's sort of defined by the situation. It's defined by a relativistic approach. It's called moral relativism. And so we don't have any clear standards in our culture any longer oftentimes about what is right and what is wrong. We sort of live with our own perspectives of that. But the Bible is very different. The Bible teaches us that there's a standard of truth, that there's a standard of what is right and what is wrong. Because if you don't have a standard, you're left to define things on your own. And there are lots of people that will define their life worship, that is what they give themselves to in every way, in one of three categories. Many people are giving themselves in every way to themselves, that it's all about you. And in essence, you worship you. You're at the center of your life. It's all about me, myself, and I, and what I want in life. And so as long as I'm happy, that's what really matters. And so when you're living for yourself, you're actually worshiping self. When yourself is at the center of your own universe, then actually you're focusing your worship on you. In every way, it's all about you. 
For many of us, that moves beyond self and it begins to be defined by the culture. We let the culture around us tell us what's important. And so if the culture says money is important, we go after money. If the culture says power is important, we go after power. Whatever the culture says is important and makes people significant, then that's what we want in our lives because I want to be accepted by the culture. I want everybody to like me. I want to be in everybody's popular group. And so I'm going to bow down at the altars of the culture. There are a lot of people in every way they're giving themselves to the culture around them so that the culture embraces them and accepts them. There's also the philosophies of the world around us that are false philosophies. False religions, ideas that we can get into our mind that, are, that, are, that begin to form our system of thinking, our belief system that, are con, that, that is contrary to what God teaches in His Word. And so we can have all these things that are pulling us away from right worship into wrong worship. I will tell you, if you're worshiping, worshiping yourself, that's a pretty pitiful God. And if you're worshiping your culture, that's a pitiful God because our culture is in a mess. Amen? Are you with me here? So if you're trying to be accepted by the culture, you, you're thinking the wrong way because our culture is a mess, okay? And if you're following false philosophies and religions, that's never going to lead you to a right relationship with God. And so we need something that points us away from the wrong way of worship to the right way of worship. And of course, that source is none other than God as He's revealed Himself through His Word called the Bible God's Word. And so God's Word becomes the standard that tells us how we are to worship, what is true worship, what is right worship versus wrong worship. Why is this important? Let me bring you back to it. Because the fear of the Lord or the worship of God is the beginning of wisdom. You'll never get on the pathway of wisdom unless you get your worship right. Are you with me here? You will never get on the path of wisdom unless you have your worship where it needs to be. So what does the Bible teach us about the right way to worship? I can't think of any better place to bring us on this journey, this understanding of the right way of worship, than taking you back to the Old Testament, book of Exodus, chapter 20. Give you a little bit of background on this. God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through Moses. They had crossed the Red Sea with a great, wonderful deliverance. God brought them through. And then he took them to a place called Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain with God. God gives him what we know to be the Ten Commandments. God himself, with his very own finger, inscribes on two tablets of stone ten laws. Because he's now helping his people to know how they are to live. They've come out of Egypt as slaves. They've been living in an Egyptian culture for 400 plus years. They don't understand worship. They don't understand how to worship God. This is their first education and what it means to worship. And so God gives them ten laws written by his very own finger on tablets of stone. And God says, I want you to know what what relationship with me and relationship with one another is all about. So I'm going to take you to the first 11 verses of Exodus chapter 20 because in these first 11 verses, God teaches us four things about right worship. Four things that he says you need to understand about right and wrong worship. Listen to it. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. That's number one. All right, he's talking about worship, right? Don't have any other gods before me. Then 
Second principle of worship, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So second principle that don't make an image in my form and worship an image. Number three, the third one, verse seven, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God or take, take in vain the name of the Lord your God, misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So he says, you have to use my name correctly. And then the fourth thing is relating to our trust in him, our worship of him, our commitment of time to him. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first four commandments, listen closely. The first four of the Ten Commandments all deal with what? The rest of the commandments deal with relationships, but the first four relationships with people, okay? The first four commandments, again, what, are they, what does it deal with? God says, now, you, you've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Let me have a conversation. Let me tell you what I'm expecting of you. Let me tell you how to get on the pathway of wisdom. It starts with your worship. He teaches us four things. First of all, he teaches us the wrong way to worship. And from that, we can imply the right way to worship. These will be on the screen for you. The wrong way to worship is to put anyone or anyone or anything else in God's place. It's called idolatry. It's wrong to worship God by creating worship images of our own and worshiping images of our own, coming up with our own ideas and images of God, having the wrong image of God in our mind. It's wrong to worship God by using words that dishonor God's name, God's nature, and God's character. It's wrong for us to worship in a way that, that, that removes from us giving God our time and our trust. God says, I want you to put me first. I want you to discover who I am truly in my image and nature. I want you to honor me with, with, with honor my name, and I want you to learn to trust me. These are the principles of worship. God says, get your worship right. Now, this is not only in the Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. Let me take you on a quick uh, journey through some passages in the New Testament. Matthew 2, verse 2. The time of Jesus' birth. There were some men living in the east, most likely from Persia, and they see a star, and they follow the star to Bethlehem, and you know the story. Let me continue reading it for you in verse 2, Matthew 2. So they come to Jerusalem and they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to, help me out church, what? Let's stop there and think about this for a moment. Here are these men living in Persia. They don't know anything about God at all, okay? They see a star and they realize this is an unusual star. This is not just any star. We better follow the star because the star was moving. And they followed the star all the way to Jerusalem. And then when, it got to, when they got to Jerusalem, the star disappeared. And so they began to ask, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. And then they added this, we have come to worship him. Right? You got that? Now, 
What do we normally refer, how do we normally refer to these three men? We call them the three, what? Wise men. Why do we call them the three wise men? Not because they were dressed up and looked really sharp and had lots of gifts to give away. No. We call them the three wise men because what was their orientation? What did they want to do? What was driving their life? The right they had wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The worship of God is the beginning of wisdom. Listen to Jesus' words in Mark 12, verses 29 and 30. Someone asked him, what's the most important commandment? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then he says, here it is. Love or worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus said the most important thing that you can do is to get your worship right. Love God, worship God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That is in every way worship. Him. Listen to his words in John 4, 24. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what's the word again? Worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Would you read this together with me aloud and loudly at all of our campuses? Here we go. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Worship God how acceptably with reverence and with awe. If we don't get our worship right, folks, if we don't get our worship right, we will never get anything else right. I've used the illustration before. Let me use it again. Have you ever put your shirt on in the morning and this button, you pull this button up and you Put that button right there. Have you ever had that problem before? Okay. And you don't realize what you've done until you get your shirt on. It's like, what's wrong? Something feels weird here. Oh, I've got, the, I've got the second button in the first hole. You with me here? Okay. Something's out of place. And so you rearrange it. You get the first button in the first hole and everything's fine. Here's what I want you to see. That if you don't get the first button right, none of the other buttons will be right. You don't get the first thing right in your life. That's the worship of God. You can't step on the pathway of all the other things in your life will flow from that first button, that first step in your life. It's the step, the first step on the pathway of wisdom, and that's the fear of the Lord or the worship of God. It's where wisdom begins. Number two, the second thing I want you to remember today, this weekend, who and what you worship affects who and what you become. The first point is, there's a right and wrong way to worship. Second point is, who and what you worship is going to affect or determine who and what you become. The focus of your worship will determine the focus and form of your life. You become like that you worship, that which you worship. N.T. Wright, who is a, is a theologian, great theologian, 
observer and scholar of Scripture, he made this observation about worship, and he uses some illustrations here that I, I want to read for you. He says, those who worship, for example, those who worship money increasingly define themselves in terms of money and increasingly treat other people in terms of money, creditors, debtors, debtors, partners, or customers, rather than as human beings. Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of sex, their preferences, their practices, their past histories, and increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sex objects. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of power and treat other people as collaborators, competitors, or pawns. What he's saying is this, whatever you worship is going to affect the approach you have in life, the way you think about life, and the way you relate to other people. Ralph Waldo Emerson made this observation. He said, the gods are God we worship, write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something. That which dominates will determine a man's life and character. That which dominates his worship will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. How does this, you say, how does this work? What do you mean, pastor? What we're worshiping is what we're becoming. When you worship materialism, then your whole focus of life becomes on the material realm of life. You've got to get, 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 get. And the only way you feel good is by what you get. Every time you get something, it makes you feel better about you because that's your God. It becomes the important part of your life. If power is important to you, you want to accumulate as much power as you can so that you can have your way with people, do whatever it is that you want to do to accomplish your goals in life. And so that forms your personality. It fashions you. It shapes you. What you worship makes you into who you are. What is the number one thing in your life is going to fashion you into the pursuit of your life. You can watch it in little kids. You look at a little kid who idolizes a football player or a basketball player. You know what that little kid's going to do? They want a jersey just like that guy's jersey. They want the same number that that guy has. So they're going to buy that jersey. They also want the same shoes that guy wears because I want, you know, they, what their, their view, their idolization of that, if you will, hero or super athlete, they want to look just like him. They comb their hair the way that guy combs his hair. They wear the stuff that guy wears. Why? Because they're, whatever you worship, whatever you idolize, you by nature are going to gravitate toward. And so that's why you have to be careful what is number one in your life, where your worship is because your worship is fashioning you. It is shaping your personality, is shaping you into the person that you want to be. And I don't want to be shaped into a person by worshiping me. I don't like everything about me. How about you? Amen? I don't want the culture around me shaping me into who I'm becoming because the culture, as we said a moment ago, is a big mess. I don't want the culture making me into something. I don't want false philosophy shaping me. I want to make sure that I'm shaped in godliness. And the only, only way that I can be shaped in godliness is to have the right kind of worship of God Almighty because who and what I worship is going to determine who and what I become. You're becoming like that which you worship. So are you sure about that, Pastor? Is that in the Bible? Yes, absolutely. Listen to Psalm 115. God's referring to the idols of Israel and how they'd fall into idolatry. Notice what it says. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths. These idols have mouths, but they can't speak. Eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they can't hear. Noses, but they can't smell. Of course, they fashioned these idols. They've made, they have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. 
nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them, what does it say next, will be like them. Isn't that interesting? Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust them. God says, you've got these idols that you're forming. You make these idols, you put them up and you worship them. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have hands, but they can't feel. They have feet, but they can't walk. Do you understand that you're becoming just like that? You have eyes, but no longer spiritually can you see. You have ears, and no longer spiritually can you hear. You have a mouth, but no longer are you speaking my word. You have hands, but no longer are you doing my work. You have feet, but you're no longer going as I want you. You've become just like your idols in the spiritual sense. Are you following the track here? Are you beginning to see why worship is so important? Because worship is the beginning point of wisdom. Let me take you to one other passage. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Again, he's talking about idolatry in Israel. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? Read the rest of this verse with me. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. When you follow something that's worthless, what will you become? Worthless. When you follow that which is worthless, it's draining worth from your life. To become the right person, your worship must be right. Why? Because who and what you worship is affecting and determining who and what you become. The fear of the Lord or the worship of God is the very beginning of what? Wisdom. If you don't get your worship right, nothing else will be right in your life. Let me bring this all down to a final point and we'll be done today. Don't laugh. You laughed. This is you. Sorry. We all have a body. We're here on earth with this physical body that we have, but more importantly... What we have inside that body is a soul. Everybody has a soul. If you haven't thought about it recently, let me remind you today, your body is not going to last forever. There'll be a time when this body will be done with. You'll breathe your last breath here, whenever that is. Nobody is going to live here forever. We're all going to die at some point in time. Unless Jesus comes back first, it's going to happen. You're going to lay that body down. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, it'll be over with. Your body will not last forever. Most people spend the bulk, 99.9 or 100% of their life, worried about this. Living that way. And they never think about that. This body is going to die. This will live forever. Your soul will live forever. Who you really are on the inside, that unique you, when God breathed and allowed you to have the breath of life inside of you, your soul is going to live forever. Okay. Forever. Have you thought about forever? It's a long time. It's kind of hard to think about it, isn't it? It kind of gives you a headache even to think about it. Forever. Forever and ever. The soul is going to live forever. And what you do with your soul here is preparing you for eternity wherever that will be, either in heaven the presence of God or 
absent from the presence of God. The Bible refers to that as hell. Hell is the absence of the presence of God. It's a place of torment. The Bible speaks there are only two eternal destinies for people, heaven or hell. I know it's not popular to talk about those two, but the Bible says that there are two eternal destinies, heaven or hell. Now, you don't have to be really smart to figure out which of those two you want to go to, right? Correct? But what you do here with your soul is going to determine what happens to you in eternity because your soul lasts forever. Okay? And God says, I want you to get on the pathway of wisdom. I want you to build a wise life here so that you'll have the highest benefit there because heaven is not just a place you go to. The Bible even speaks of the fact that there are rewards in heaven. Depending upon how we live our life here, that we can, we can expect and anticipate rewards there if we live a certain way. And so God says, I want you to get beyond just this temporary view that life is about you and stuff right now and just your body and the externals. I want you to get beyond that. I want you to think about your soul. I want you to think about your soul because your soul is what lasts forever. I want you to get on the pathway of wisdom so that you're building a wise life, not only so it will benefit you here, but also provide rewards for you for eternity. I want your soul to be healthy. I want your soul to be whole. I want your soul to be saved. I want your soul to be, be everything that I created it to be because it lasts forever. So that's why God says, if you're going to get on the pathway of wisdom, the number one question is right here. Everybody watching and listening, are you ready? This is the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. Who is or what is number one right there? There's no other question that is more important than that one question right there. Because the fear of the Lord or the worship of God is the beginning of a life of wisdom. If you don't get this right, you won't get anything else right. It doesn't matter if you die a multi-billionaire with all kind of stuff. It doesn't matter if everybody in the world knows you and thinks you're awesome. If this isn't right, this is what matters between you and God for all eternity. Here's the good news. If he's not number one today, he can be number one. One of the wonderful things about God is that when you and I replace Him with something else, He doesn't reject us. He waits for us to come back to Him and embrace Him again as number one. And for some of you here today, maybe you're, you've kind of slipped away. Maybe, maybe you, you, you know Jesus, you've invited Christ in your life, but maybe somehow in the context of living, he, He's no longer number one. He's kind of slipped to number two. You've got that second button in the first hole. And your life is beginning to feel kind of awkward and doesn't feel like it needs to be or it used to be. And so God's saying, all you need to do is come back to that place in your life where, where I, I, I'm your first button in the first hole, that I, I'm your number one, that I'm the number one pursuit of your life. It doesn't matter about anything else because if I can be number one, everything else will flow as it needs to flow in your life. It all starts with who and what is number one in your life. If you've drifted from allowing God to be number one, can I encourage you today, the wisest thing you can do, the wisest thing you can do, we're talking about getting wiser, amen? The wisest thing you can do is come back today and say, God, starting today, you're number one.
whatever has been, I'm putting behind me. And today, I'm making a stand to go forward. You're number one in my life. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Lord, we acknowledge to you this morning that we deeply desire to be wise people. We know that wisdom makes the difference in success of life and fulfillment of life and in all that you've created us to be. We want to be wise. We realize that the fear of God, the worship of God, is the beginning of wisdom. And so many times, Lord, we tend to wander away from letting you be number one. We get that second button in the first hole. We put other things before you. And I'm praying for all of us today that if we have drifted in some way that today would be the day that we would once again reaffirm, recommit our lives to say, Jesus, we want you to be number one. We want our worship of you to be right worship. We want to have our lives formed by the right kind of worship of you. And Lord, for anyone that has wandered away, anyone that has maybe let you slip to a lower place of priority in their life, I pray that today would be that day of reaffirming that relationship with you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.